Hello, and welcome to another episode of Echo Punks, recorded live in front of an automated audience. We're a bunch of smart and curious people who get together to try to understand life, try to understand the ecosystems around us. And lately, we've really been delving deep into the human brain and the human experience. Partly as a reaction against artificial intelligence, we're trying to better understand natural intelligence. And today's topic, perhaps appropriately, is wisdom. And rather than define wisdom, I'm going to throw over to our chief wise guy, David Ryan, who is the one who proposed today's topic. So, David, why don't you start us off by... You know, perhaps uh, describing what you sort of understand wisdom as, because I think we perhaps all have different uh, perhaps uh, pieces of the wisdom puzzle. But it's the kind of thing I think as a society we neglect. So I, I'd be curious to have you help us start us off in terms of, you know, what is wisdom and how should we be approaching it as far as our discussion today? Well, I should I should say, I thank you very much for inviting me to talk about wisdom, about which I know some, but relatively little, um, which in the words of Socrates, uh, makes me uh, somewhat of a wise guy, because Socrates says that knowing you know nothing is the root of, uh, of real wisdom. Unlike Aristotle, who says that uh, you can't be wise without being good. So virtuosity as a, as, a, as a sign of wisdom. But I mentioned Socrates and Aristotle only to imply that the notion of wisdom and the idea of wisdom has um, you know, um, a, a long history. Uh, and it goes back to the roots of, of, human, of human, human thought. And it has kind of evolved uh, uh, over the course of centuries, it evolved. There was a you know kind of a theological view of wisdom, and beginning with perhaps with you know Solomon, Solomon the Wise, who, upon meeting two women, uh, um, one of whose children died, and leaving two women with with one child, decided that. Um, he would, uh, they, and they, who came to him, the wise Solomon, to decide what they would do, because they both wanted to have this child that was left, and he suggested that they cut him, cut it in half, and they could each have a half. And one of them, one of the women said, uh, "Okay," and the other woman said, "No, let the other person have the child." And Solomon gave the child to that woman, who said, "No." let the other woman have the child because he intu intuited that that was the, the real mother of the child because um, she was the one that wanted to save its life even though she would not possess it. And so we've had, you know, that's the theolog theological elements have largely been focused on goodness and, um, and adherence to, uh, to theological tenets and um, and then there's been, been a, a philosophical approach in the, the age of reason. And so there's been an emphasis on reason and rationality and, and um, as the, the signature elements of, um, of wisdom. And, and most recently, uh, um, psychologists have turned to the notion of the psychology of wisdom and the, and the science of wisdom, what psychologists being scientists and applying scientific methods to, the, to this concept to unpack the, the meaning of this concept. And there have been several um, frameworks um, that uh, have emerged. And uh, I'm going to talk about one of them in particular. Um, and this was uh, the one that I came across in my work as a psychologist working with older people and um, wondering in my work with older people um, whether or not, whether wisdom was a useful concept for me to use to think about people, um, whether wisdom was something that was related to age, because I was seeing lots of older people who, you know, weren't particularly wise or were wise in some ways and not in others. And, and so it was 
it was helpful to me to turn to a guy named a psychologist who died in 2006, named uh, Paul Baltus. And Paul Baltus uh, developed with his team the, what's come to be known as the Berlin Wisdom Project. And it's a multi-generational, um, decades, several decades long um, enterprise to examine the notion of, of wisdom. And for Paul Baltus and the Berlin Wisdom Project, there were wisdoms comprised of five different, we can think effectively about wisdom by considering five different components. So the wise person from the Berlin Wisdom Project's perspective has vast procedural knowledge, knowing how to do things, knowing how to get things done, knowing how the world works in order to enabling the achievement of, of, of things, of other things, of procedural knowledge. Factual knowledge is the second component. Having, you know, a lot of what we consider to be in some, in some, in some quarters, um, uh, um, intelligence, um, factual knowledge. So procedural knowledge, knowing how to get things done, factual knowledge, knowing about things, Lifespan contextualism. So the wise person sees that over the lifespan, things have different meanings. Um, and uh, so, for example, I was reading just the other day that some um, uh, um, cross-sectional studies of um, um, across the, from, from adult from adolescence to um, older adulthood, um, people saw adolescents saw that um, wisdom. Uh, wise people in their experiences were people who were supportive and empathetic for adolescents. People are wise when they're supportive and adolescent at, and empathetic. For, for adults, uh, adults see people as wise when they uh, are, are successful and are able to be assertive and, achieve, and pursue their own goals. Whilst for older adults, knowledge is uh, 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 wisdom is seen as being a repository of knowledge and flexibility. So although the three examples of lifespan contextualism, the, the fact that the wise person sees that over the lifespan, things take on different meaning. I play hockey. I'm 78 years old. Some people say that I have not, uh, I have unwisely chosen not to adapt to the context of being an old body with a 20-year-old mind. The, for, the, the, the fourth element is relativism, relativism of values and attitudes. The fact that a wise person understands that people may think about things in different ways and hold, uh, um, hold value, uh, see value in different things and have attitudes that uh, or may very well be legitimate, but aren't yours particularly. And a wise person understands that. And then the fifth element of, of um, wisdom for the, for the wisdom project is the acceptance of change. The fact that a wise person understands that things don't stay the same. Um, yesterday, I was listening to a radio show in which a, 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 a psychologist um, was studying political attitudes and discovering that one of the things that he's found internationally uh, is that, um, yeah, there they are, um, interna internationally, that, um, that uh, 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 conservatives uh, resist change. Conservatives, wherever they're found, in whatever culture, people who are more conservative or have this character, share a characteristic of resisting change which raises, and I should say this with the tongue in my cheek, uh, as to whether or not conservative, right, particularly right-wing conservatives, can in fact be wise. Is that possible or not? So uh, let's, um, whilst there are other uh, approaches to um, thinking about um, wisdom, I thought it would be worthwhile because Paul Baltus and the wisdom the Berlin Wisdom Project is perhaps the most rigorously developed and, and the most widely accepted framework for wisdom, that it would be worthwhile for us to have a conversation uh, about 
um, the application of this model to be, to help us think about um, several kinds of things. So here's what I'd like us to do, and and I I'm gonna I'm gonna be a, a somewhat apologetic in saying that I'm going to really try to direct us uh, into um, one, two, three, four, five um, different free-flowing and open conversations. So I would like us to talk about what does this Berlin framework of wisdom uh, mean for at an individual level, personal wisdom, people we know that are wise, why do we know that they're wise? What do we think about the idea that age and wisdom may not be as um, as uh, uh, um, coherent as we often think uh, of them to be. And then organizational wisdom. Can we think about organizations being wise? And if we thought about organizational organizations being wise, would the, the five elements of the Berlin Wisdom Project be helpful in thinking about wise organizations? Cultural wisdom, can we think about, well, is, is it worthwhile to apply the idea of wisdom to culture? And finally, wisdom and artificial intelligence, artificial wisdom, as uh, Sinha and Lac, Lac Lapan have, uh, have, uh, have uh, conceptualized it. So four conversations uh, in which we're going to try to apply the Berlin Wisdom Project. So let's begin with personal wisdom. Actually, I would like to interject because go ahead, Jeanette. before we go ahead delving into the Berlin framework, I want to push back a little bit on this on the frame we're using here, which I think is not as cross-cultural maybe as it could be. And I just want to, and that's fine. I think as long as we acknowledge that this is one perspective and it's a very culturally situated perspective, it's totally legitimate for us to talk about it, but I just want to go back to your first definition where you talked about theological ideas of wisdom. And I think if we revise that label and talk about spiritual conceptions of wisdom, we're now opening it up outside of a Judeo-Christian kind of wisdom tradition to encompass, or outside of the Greeks, let's say, to encompass something a lot broader where, um, you know, the two things you mentioned with your anecdotes were self-awareness, Right, which you can see in many Eastern spiritual traditions that that is considered a, a good, very much connected with wisdom. And secondly, in the story of Solomon, judgment, right? The capacity for judgment coming uh, hand in hand with wisdom, which again, I think there are precedents for that in other cultural traditions. So I just wanted to add that before we well, and, launch and ahead. And, and I'll bridge it back to David in terms of the individual that and anytime you guys want, I can bring up the five points because I think David does have the advantage of knowing them a little better than we do. And I think part of what we're going to try to do now is sort of take this framework and imagine how it applies to the different examples David gave of the individual, the organization, the culture and AI. And I think in going through those steps, it'll help us both understand this framework. But I think it also, to your point, Jeanette, allow us to bring in the way in which wisdom is conceived of, both in the popular lexicon, but to your point, in other cultures. David, do you want to focus us back on the individual within the context okay, of the sure. framework? Yeah, I can do that. And, you know, keeping in mind that uh, the map is never the territory. So the, the, the wisdom um, framework is a, a map. Uh, there are always many, many maps. But let's see if this map uh, helps us to uh, think about things. And first of all, let's then focus on the notion of personal wisdom. And uh, the question, let me ask you to think about whether or not um, age is necessary in order to achieve wisdom. And if it is, in what ways? And if not, why is that? I mean, I, I found the biggest thing of the five that struck me is the uncertainty principle, right? Your, your point about Socrates. And it is rare that I meet people who are able to acknowledge what they don't know. But it's often young people. 
right? There are a lot of young people I know who are ready to admit that they don't know. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of young people who are not willing to do that, who like to think that they know everything. But I think of the five, I'm often most attracted to the uncertainty and when people are to acknowledge uncertainty. And I think that, for all practical purposes, can and should be ageless. But again, that's of the five what I look for. I'm, I'm curious right. to hear what the rest of you think. Well, I think the inverse of the question that David stated is equally interesting that, you know, um, is it problematic to make an assumption that wisdom naturally comes with age? I, you know, I would argue that there is no automatic connection there, that to be wise is a role that doesn't necessarily connect with your biological age. So I think, you know, it, we can turn that causal arrow one way or the other, but it, I think what we're interrogating is, is there some kind of uh, automatic connection there? Um, I don't think so. And I, I, I would hope that, you know. Well, other than you're not thinking so, Jeanette, mm -hmm. um, can you use the framework to, um, uh, um, um, to, to sort your thinking uh, uh, about uh, age and uh, wisdom? Well, okay, sure. I think that, um, uh, in a lot of these cases, uh, you know, everything from factual knowledge, procedural knowledge, uh, to a lesser degree, maybe the last three, that there is, there's a, a strong tie to experiential knowledge, that uh, experiential knowledge, um, I actually would say the lifespan contextualism would also be connected to experiential knowledge. And, and to a certain degree, the relativism and the uncertainty principles as well, right? Because it's through the buildup of experiential knowledge that you start to become aware of how much there is still to learn and how much you don't know and, um, and to what degree things are, are relative to situations. So if all of these things, if we can link these things to experiential knowledge, then we can talk about the accumulation of experiential knowledge with years, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that um, the, it's one thing to, let's say, accumulate passively experiences. It's another thing to mobilize that towards learning. And I, I feel like learning is the principle that is lurking behind this framework for wisdom, but hasn't actually been explicitly named as such. Because it's, it's one thing to just take in data. It's another thing to mobilize it in in some kind of way and i wonder if that's the distinction between just being full of information and being wise and merle you, you just raised your hand you want to jump in there yeah i mean i i noticed that Oops. in all of those elements of the framework uh it refers to knowledge and it doesn't like it seems to me that wisdom is not just having knowledge but perhaps a heuristic way of learning can happen over various time spans. And so age might have nothing to do with it. There are some things that it takes a long time to learn, but if learning is a process of sort of practice and repetition, then perhaps some things don't take as long. And so I think that there are young people who have wisdom about certain things, perhaps like social media or uh, you know, the use of smartphones or uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, <laughs> whereas um, their seniors might have a better sense of, you know, how to do your taxes well uh, to get a good return or, you know, how to uh, navigate a workplace um, and the sociopolitical structure of it. So I think that the, the lifespan element is important, but that there isn't necessarily the necessity for age in order to, to gain wisdom. Okay, Sharita, do you have a, a quick thought? I'm not sure Sharita can hear us, unfortunately. We seem to have sort of lost her. 
So uh, let me. I, I, David, quickly, I wanted to come back to your point about conservatives, right? And that I think, you know, you, you, you were deliberately, you're being deliberately provocative, but I think you, you touched upon something really important. And that was, you know, the uh, ability to understand change and the ability to embrace change. And I think that the state of uh, political conservatism is a, a reaction against wisdom, right? It's a reaction against the type of wisdom that we would want in a society. And that's where I, I don't think you were being facetious when you sort of argued that, you know, conservatives may not be wise, may not be capable of wisdom because they're fundamentally reacting to the opportunities for learning that Jeanette kind of highlighted that I, I think has, it's it's something we should be looking at when we talk about the values that we want in a society, because I think valuing wisdom leads us to the kind of progressive society that a lot of conservatives are really going against. So Sharita, I'm assuming you can hear us now. David, do you want to re-ask your question to Sharita? Was there a, a quick comment you'd like to make, Sharita, about the notion of uh, personal wisdom and the subtext uh, of it, of it's the necessity of age? I don't know if you've heard, if you're able to hear what uh, what the others have said. But. I, I, I couldn't hear what Merle said. That was the point in time where, you know, my sound just went. Um, but in terms of personal, in terms of uh, wisdom, I think it's something that we acquire um, within certain contexts. And I think that people can be wise within certain contexts so that someone who's young can still be considered wise, let's say within the context of uh, gaming. Uh, certainly somebody yeah. who's played for years uh, online gaming has a certain innate wisdom about it that perhaps they can't even explain, but um, is something that so they, they have. So and they I, would have... They would have a more advanced procedural knowledge but in they this particular all, context. Is uh, that what but you're they, suggesting? but they also may have the flexibility that you talked about. Um, in because, order to because of that environment. In order to become good in that particular context, the context of gaming, um, one would have procedural knowledge yes. about gaming, but also have um, other virtues like um, the acceptance of change Yes, uh, to, to adapt to this thing in the first place, and perhaps the relativism of values, um, because uh, they you know, might have changed from one gaming situation to another gaming situation. Well, and, and sorry, go ahead, Sharita. Because I, um, I would like to, I want to, I want to just kind of pull this segment of our conversation to a to a well and a and, and before you do though i i just want to point out that in the video game context i think we were talking about four out of five and and as we've been talking it strikes me that we're often in each of these examples hitting four out of five but not five out of five because with the conservatives i think we're hitting four out of five and it's the relativism right that that they're lost on the same way with video games i think we're hitting four to five but it's the lifespan contextualism that we lose in the video game context but go ahead you wanted to segue well, so david would, into the next piece say, so that in our conversation i would I, I see in our conversation that what people are saying is that uh, well we can be we can have some of the characteristics of wisdom operational and so you know we, and not others and that um, we haven't, no one has ever said, uh, hasn't said, I know a really wise guy or a really wise woman who has all of those characteristics. So a weekend, there are, we have the gradations of wisdom, somewhat wise, wise in particular contexts and uh, incapable of becoming wise by virtue of um, 
Well, and 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 let's Professor, be clear. Let me, uh, let me interrupt you. But but in the let context of your exercise, though, I I just want to state my own bias here. Present company excluded. I haven't really met anyone that I would consider wise. So that's why I'm approaching this more from a theoretical perspective than a giving you examples of wise people I know. Please go ahead, Dave. So uh, we we were spinning into the idea of cultural wisdom. Um, and uh, so perhaps in the interest of time and in order to pursue this, uh, this application of, um, of uh, a framework, realizing that it's one of several different frameworks and a number of different approaches to the idea of cultural wisdom. Is the idea of cultural wisdom a useful idea? Um, what, using the Berlin framework, what would cultural wisdom look like? So, I mean, that's, go ahead, Jenna. I was going to say, so by cultural wisdom, do you mean kind of a deep fund of knowledge about the one's own cultural mores and practices and traditions? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm open to whatever you, the interpretation of cultural wisdom is. I, I'm not sure if I know what cultural wisdom is. I'm asking, is I would think possible that's possible to have something like cultural wisdom as a concept? Sure. I mean, I think that, you know, that would be something you would see uh, valued a lot more in, let's say, more traditional societies where, um, you know, especially in, in cultures that are more oral focused than uh, writing based, uh, where part of the traditional role of the elder is to be a repository of cultural wisdom and uh, and to transmit that uh in the absence of a, of a written culture. So I think one could be wise in terms of having a kind of a deep understanding and uh, level of insight about uh, aspects of one's own culture. It, that strikes me as one possible meaning of cultural wisdom. Well, and, and so, I wanted to sort of come back specifically to the five principles because you know, my, my instinctual response to your question, David, was to think of North American indigenous cultures, which I think we have uh, f rightly or wrongly associated with wisdom. And so it, it made me want to kind of look at the framework again of like rich factual knowledge. Right. That's sort of how I think of science in terms of whether the culture values science and has you know, a, a scientific practice, which indigenous science certainly does, you know, rich procedural knowledge. And again, you think about indigenous agriculture, you think about the indigenous relationship with the environment. Again, I, I would say yes. You know, lifespan contextualism, absolutely, in terms of understanding the nature of aging and, you know, connecting to ancestors and thinking about future generations. Similarly, the relativism, uh, again, I think in North American indigenous cultures, there is a healthy presence of relativism. And then the uncertainty, I think, is also there. And I think if you think about wisdom on a cultural level, you're sort of elevating each of these five principles to kind of what are the values of the culture? What are the virtues of the culture? And does the culture provide a, a kind of thinking model, a, a model for cognition that allows members of the culture to understand their world, to understand their ecosystem? And in that sense, I could imagine a wise culture, but I could be glorifying. I could be nostalgic because part of what I'm suggesting is I don't think that I live in a wise culture for the reasons that it doesn't connect with a lot of these same pillars. Sharita, you were kind of nodding. So yeah, please. I'd, I'm trying to also put in um an individual who can appreciate somebody else's culture. Um, you may have been reifying um, the indigenous culture, but at least you've made some moves to try to understand it. So as a, if you look at it in terms of the individual, you're looking now at the context. You're looking, you know, so... 
I'm bringing it back down to the individual so that you understand somebody else's culture. That may be different than, you know, than your own. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that that was the thing that was running through my mind. Well, and to Jeanette's... About, go ahead, David. about um, cultures uh, that... Um, that uh, that um, that prevent women from being educated. Mm -hmm. um, what what if, if a culture prevents women from being educated? Could that culture be considered a wise culture, even if, to go back to Jeanette's point, it has a a rich um, indigenous to use another to use the same term um history well i think i think actually maybe this will help this framing we can have i think the figure that i described uh, you know is basically a wise elder type figure right the person who's the kind of embodies the wisdom of a culture so you know, maybe Jeanette, can I just interrupt you just for a second, sure. just to remind you that in the earlier piece of the conversation, you you delinked age and wisdom. I because I'm using elder. That's a great point, David, and I'm so glad you brought it up. I'm using elder exclusively as a role description, not age dependent. So, under this term, theoretically, you could have a 13 year old elder. Um, and if you ever played Fortnite, you'll find them. So Fortnite, I don't know. Yes. Uh, so it's really a role descriptor in this case. But thank you for pointing that out because obviously elder, that's a bit of an idiosyncratic definition and elder is used often to, you know, to be sort of the same thing as senior or old person. Well, actually in the, in the, in the seniors world, uh, people avoid the use of the term elder because of its being seen as a cultural appropriation but you know that's just there's that too world. interesting yeah uh, so um i'm having an eye on the clock and uh um, i'm wondering if if there are any last comments merely any thoughts from you on wisdom and culture wise culture or did you already speak on this issue and i forgot I haven't. I mean, I think that there is cultural wisdom, but I, I, it again brings us back to the, the contextual elements, because while a, a culture may share a, a certain body of wisdom or knowledge and the relationship they're in, um, that would perhaps differ greatly or contradict another culture's wisdom. And so I think the, the context is very important in that while I agree that cultural wisdom does exist and is relevant in our discussion, I, I think that there's a bit of a tension there between, uh, you know, which culture are we talking about? And like, we obviously share a certain culture which is different from many other people in the world. And so, our view of cultural wisdom is going to be informed by that in a way that would be different from others. But I, I think there's a paradox there that to Jeanette, Jeanette's point about Judeo-Christian culture, I think it presents itself as relativistic when actually it isn't, right? I think it presents itself as saying, well, we can accommodate all values as long as they are subservient to ours. Right. As long as the Judeo-Christian values are, are paramount. And that's why I think, David, to your original, why I felt really profound insight. Right. Contemporary conservatism is a reaction against threats to Judeo-Christian civilization. Right. Uh, George Peterson, as we called him last podcast, uh, is someone who believes that he is defending the decline of Western civilization. Right. You know, the disgraced U of T psychologist. Right. He, he thinks that the 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 relativism of postmodernism is a mortal threat 
against Judeo-Christian culture. So I think this notion of relativism and Charita's point about empathy of other cultures is part of what makes a culture potentially wise. And again, that's where I'm, I'm kind of skeptical as to whether there are a lot of contemporary cultures that exhibit the, these five traits of wisdom. I, I'm not so sure. And, and, and I think we kind of skipped over the organization, unless you plan to bring us back, David, because I was going to have the same skepticism, right? That it strikes me that some organizations have a few of these characteristics, but they, they rarely, you know, if anything, I feel that we're creating a hierarchy where individuals are the most likely to be wise. And the larger you get, the least capable or the harder it may be to cultivate wisdom. But please, David, uh, well, take us further. Let's continue. I notice we still have 14 minutes left. So let's continue then. So I, it, I'm not sure what we can summarize from our conversation except for the fact that we weren't able to come to terms with the idea of a, um, um, a of, 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 um, we were able to come to the terms with the idea that there were people within cultures who had wisdom, uh, the elders notion, um, but we weren't able to really connect on the issue of there being um, a way of thinking about cultures that were themselves wise. But let's continue uh, with the organizational uh, element, Jesse. You, 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 please continue with your thinking about, can, uh, is it worthwhile to think about organizations as being wise? And not only, um, so I'm thinking of that in terms of, um, are there wise organizations? And if there are, wise organizations, why we, do we think they're wise? But also, if you are an organization uh, who wants to become wise, given that perhaps wise might be a worthwhile thing to, to have on your logo, um, would the framework uh, help organizational developers to develop their organizational wisdom? I mean, you sort of uh, evoke the idea that instead of a trademark, a company might have a wise mark, which sort yeah. of indicates yeah, like that they've achieved. I, I think that's a brilliant idea, David. $5 each. Well, no, but 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 I think this this question you've raised is really smart. And I think there is a lot of value in organizations asking the question, can we cultivate our organizational wisdom? And what are the competitive or market advantages to doing so? And and I, I think that's a brilliant proposition, one that I think we should explore again in the future. But to bring it back to, to the five, and here I'll, I'll bring the sort of browser back. You know, I, I think if we go back through the five here of factual knowledge, Right. Organizations can absolutely have rich factual knowledge. Organizations can have rich procedural knowledge. Would those be the factual uh, procedural knowledge? Would that be policies? I think it could be policies, but I think it could be the ability to manufacture something, the ability to deliver a service, the you know, ability to function in the goal that you as a company have decided to function. That could be consulting services, could be health services. There's a certain factual knowledge behind that combined with a procedural knowledge. I think the factual knowledge is an area that most companies excel. I think the procedural knowledge is where most organizations have difficulty. I think we're seeing, especially as a result of the pandemic, a, lo a lot of procedural incompetence when it comes to the ability of uh, companies and organizations to deliver services, but some do it better than others. Similarly, I think lifespan contextualism is easier potentially in an organization than an individual because you're not depending upon a single individual. So you could have critical distance, but most organizations don't cultivate critical distance and they don't cultivate a type of lifespan contextualism in the same way that I suspect they don't have a lot of relativism, but they could. And they should. And I think that's another argument in favor of cultural wisdom or organizational wisdom. And of course, the uncertainty piece is something that I think organizations struggle with, but again, would be highly advantageous if it was something they offered. So to go to your original proposition, David, I think 
where individuals, uh, they can cultivate wisdom, but I would argue few attain it. I think cultures often struggle at wisdom, but I think organizations, it is actually possible. I think very few do, but I think this framework does provide them with an excellent means by which to articulate that. Uh, Ashrita, Jeanette, Murley, please love to hear um, your thoughts on wouldn't, this. Okay, um, wouldn't an organization require some kind of cultural wisdom in order to work on their organizational wisdom. Um, organizations have cultures and those cultures either enable or they prevent organizations from growing, from changing, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a not, you know, so when I look at it and I look at individual, cultural, organizational, et cetera, my question would be, is there a hierarchy? Um, do you need to have cultural wisdom before you can have individual wisdom and organizational wisdom? Or do you have to have individual? Do you see what I mean? I, I think it's probably a combination of all, all of them. But I wonder in terms of an organization, if you first have to look at the culture of the organization, the group. Well especially given that for most organizations the culture is there and they are largely unconscious of it it yeah. happens by accident rather than by design yeah i think the other thing to consider is scale here i mean organization is a pretty broad term this could be anything from a knitting circle to a multi-million dollar international corporation right That's we would charge different rates accordingly yeah <laughs> But those are both organizations and, and, you know, they, how much they have in common beyond falling into that category. Not a lot. We could probably, we could, we could probably say that a, a knitting circle could become organized, but the PepsiCo is an organization. Yes. And, and, and even though the knitting circle is technically a form of organization, I, I would say that the PepsiCo has greater resources to pursue wisdom than the individuals who are coming together to share knowledge around knitting. One could say that the lower scale makes the approach to wisdom more accessible, and I think that's true. But I think what Sharita pointed out in terms of the symbiotic relationship between culture and wisdom is that we are talking fundamentally about a resource-intensive process. Right. If it wasn't a resource intensive process, we'd have more wise guys walking around. We'd have more wise people. Right. Uh, uh, sharing wisdom in their society. And I think we're taking for granted that uh, that wisdom is first on some levels a resource intensive process and that as an individual, you need to have a full belly. Right. To have the ability to then have these types of thoughts. Organizations, I think, have the resources. They have the resources, they have the incentive, you know, I think they don't have the awareness and they may not have the appetite, but I think the larger premise here is that in the age of AI, and David, I'm trying to give you a segue, <laughs> in the age of AI, it might, wisdom may be the kind of competitive advantage that an organization requires to stand out amongst all the clones and automatons that are going to be generating content into the, the general world. Merle, you're shaking your head, so I'll throw to you before I then ask David to segue us to the, the final subject. I think we've already done the segue. Fair enough. <laughs> Merle, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting. Like, I, I agree that resources are a key part of this, but I think there is a balance between that scale and resources. When we were talking about uh, games earlier, I was, I was thinking about how, <clears throat> for instance, Cyberpunk 2077 was an instance of, at least re reportedly, higher managers not understanding what the, the grunt work involved was to actually achieve the project. And so, you know, you could argue that th those are sub-organizations within the organization, 
Um, and maybe they could have put more resources into communicating between those levels of, of work, of management. But it was clearly a struggle and to a certain degree, a failure of uh, shared wisdom uh, around that project. And so there's definitely a balance between the resources you have available and the, the scale. Well, I and I was, Merle, I was going to say, I think you just hit the nail on the head because I think you took David's proposition of, you know, are there organizations who would benefit from using this wisdom framework? And Merle, you just answered the question, video game development companies. Right, because video game studios have elders in their midst, right? To use Jeanette's definition. There are young people who are playing the game and developing the game who have tremendous wisdom and they are the enemy, right? Electronic arts, you know, the big game studios, they treat those elders as the enemy, right? Because those elders are criticizing them online for making crappy games. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why they see them as a threat versus if those same video game organizations embrace the wisdom framework that David has articulated, they would then be in a position to leverage the knowledge and expertise that exists in their ranks, but is in opposition to management rather than in cooperation with. So not only would they be developing better games on budget, right, that, you know, uh, uh, conquered the market but they would have a far better talent development strategy because it wouldn't be people at the top who have no clue how the games are being made. Instead, you'd have people moving up through the ranks because of their wisdom, right? Which these organizations do not know how to quantify and do not know how to understand. Can Thanks, I? Jesse. In the, in the, in the AI... I want to jump in for Go ahead, Sharita. Because this is just popping at the front of my brain. Are there certain types of organizational work places that would be able to access wisdom uh, better than others. So what I'm thinking about is I'm thinking more in terms of workplace democracy. I'm thinking in terms of different types of organizations such as collectives, cooperatives, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that was just running around in my brain. I'm sorry, David. That's okay. That's fine. Um, but just to, to focus on AI for the last uh, last couple of minutes, like I don't know much about AI, um, and I know that there are several AI um, environments, uh, applications, or apps, or whatever, however you might construe them. Is there any? Are they, do they differ in their, what we're calling wisdom using the definition that we have? Is there a wise AI? Is there a gradation of wisdom in AI applications? Is wisdom important in AI and how would we achieve it? We have two I, minutes to answer that question. Well, we, we can go a, a little long given that we started a, a little late. And, and I think David, again, you're, you're hitting it right on the nose. Right. I think if an AI development company wanted to develop effective AI, they would use this wisdom model. Presently, they don't. Right. Presently, their understanding of intelligence is very narrow, very statistical, and it certainly does not uh, incorporate things like relativism and uncertainty. Right. It focuses on very specific mathematical calculated answers, the same way that AI does not necessarily have lifespan contextualism. Right. It focuses almost exclusively on rich factual knowledge and rich, rich procedural knowledge at the expense of the other three. So I think, again, the value of this framework is it allows us to approach wisdom or in the context of AI allows us to approach intelligence from a multidisciplinary perspective rather than just from the approach of math or computer science. And ironically, that's why I think the framework for organizations around wisdom is even more relevant because so much of their factual knowledge and procedural knowledge will be subject to automation, which will then create gaps that, to Sharita's point, emphasizes governance, right? Because if you think about it as a trifecta, you've got wisdom, you've got culture, and you've got governance, 
right? For most people, culture is by accident. Governance is highly rigid and hierarchical and wisdom is neglected, right? Versus what we're suggesting is if wisdom is what we're ultimately going after, which I think it, it for any organization, it's a worthy goal, then you need an appropriate culture and governance that allows you to cultivate that wisdom. And I think those are the two pieces that are currently missing in AI. And those are the two pieces currently missing when it comes to organizations. Jeanette, your, your smirk indicates you want to jump in. Well, I just I think you're right that in effect it is missing, but it's there in the myth around general intelligence, around AGI, which doesn't actually exist yet, but is the exactly the kind of artificial intelligence that is often treated in religious with a kind of religious reverence as a godlike kind of figure. And it is credited with a, a kind of wisdom. So I feel like the ideal of a wise AI certainly has a lot of currency right now. But the reality is, you know, the AI that we're actually dealing with uh, in an everyday way is what they call narrow AI, which is, yeah, is just procedural more than anything. Okay. Right on. I, I think, think that, go ahead, David. I think, um, I think I've, um, we've pulled off what I hoped we would pull off. And that is to say we would use a framework. Um, I, I like the idea of frameworks. Frameworks to which I've been fully committed tentatively <laughs> have, uh, have uh, um, guided most of the successes that uh, I've uh, had in serving uh, serving people through my through my career. So thank you so much for allowing us to use this to being for a few minutes for 60 minutes being fully committed, well, somewhat fully committed tentatively to uh, the Berlin framework of wisdom and helping us to in, to inform our thinking about personal wisdom, organizational wisdom cultural wisdom and the wisdom of AI, uh, and has at the end of the day uh, um, produced possibly a new form of consultation service. Well, and, and I think that's where we will have more discussions about wisdom. I think just like our aging files, this was more an opening of a Pandora's box than a closing of a file. But to your point, David, it'll be interesting to see the extent to which we can generate interest in wisdom. Right. And whether wisdom is something that appeals to people who are not those of us present, who are clearly uh, in uh, 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 eager pursuit of the cultivation of wisdom. But whether we can convince organizations of that same value, I think, is, is an interesting process moving forward. So thank you, David. I, I appreciated your role in facilitating the discussion today. Uh, please uh, feel encouraged to do so again in the future. Same goes with you, Sharita, Jeanette, Murley. I would thank everyone who's listening and, of course, our automated audience who uh, enables us to be able to do what we do. Uh, a big shout out to the YouTube algorithm, a, a big shout out to the other algorithms that bring people to this content. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give it a big thumbs up. And if you didn't enjoy this conversation, post a comment. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. -bye. Bye.